Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the No Nonsense DSO podcast. I am Jay Trail, and I'm here with my mother, Kara Trail. And we also have a special guest today, Scott Cruz. So I'll let mom uh, introduce herself, and then Scott, you come on in and start talking, and we'll answer, get a bunch of questions asked of you. Sure. So uh, my name is Kara Trail, uh, Jay's mama. We've been um, in the DSO world for about four years. I've been in the dental field for over 20. Um, but I am so excited today to be here with Scott Cruz, who has, uh, we've just learned Jay and I a ton from him. So uh, Scott, I'm going to let you give a little bit of your background because um, there's just so much to it. So I'll let you get started with that. All right, I'll try to keep it short enough that we don't run out of Zoom time. <laughs> hey, uh, I got all the Zoom time we need. We're good. <laughs> uh, so I started out in the hospital management business uh, in the 80s and 90s in Virginia. And uh, that's when uh, everybody was starting their own little uh, hospital company uh, across the country. And as a young person, super young in my 20s, I happened to get in on a startup. And for about five years, I ended up being in their business services office and ended up being eventually the controller and CFO of the company. Um, and one of my hospitals had a dental uh, residency program. At the time, it was not a big deal, just a two residency program. I didn't think much about it. Um, another company came along like they do in the dental world today, and they were buying up hospitals, kind of like Carillion does there in Roanoke. And... All of us young guys were like, we don't want to work for the man. We're going to go start our own company. Um, we did that in our 20s, not realizing how much capital we really needed to have to do that. So I will say that might be the most short-lived business anybody's ever seen. Um, but somewhere in there, and to this, to this day, I don't know how it happened, but I came across um, a recruiting person who was looking for uh, a director of operations and president of the management company for American Dental Partners in North Carolina. Um, they were looking to build uh, like their third or fourth group. I figure what order they were in at that point. And this is 1998. And um, so Ray Garrison had a $2 million residency program at Woodson's, uh, I'm sorry. Um, just on my train of thought there. Oh, Wake Forest uh, Baptist Medical Center and Wake Forest University. So there were a bunch of a bunch of entities involved in that, um, and so they were going to use the basis of the residency to build a group. So somehow they they liked who I was, and it really what happened was it was the very little niche that I had that was a hospital with a residency, and here we were about to build a group around a very large hospital, and a six person residency. So my little niche became my entryway into dentistry, and so anything I know today about the actual clinical part of dentistry, and obviously I am not a dentist, um, came from working side by side with Ray Garrison, who was president of the professional corporation there. Ray had built three different uh, residency programs across the country, and, um, and just, a, just a super leader, um, a great teacher, uh, any number of things. And, and the first thing I'll tell you is, I'm a terrible student. Like a C plus was great for me because I just needed to get out of college and be and, and get out on my own. Um, and I didn't weather mentors very well. Like I just needed to bump into things and and uh, take my take my hit. And that's how I learned. Ray Garrison is probably the first person where I actually sat down and tried to hear what he was saying and learn from him 
uh, how dentistry worked. And that meant, uh, and Jay will laugh at this, having spent time with Dr. Risa Clark, that yep. meant I sat in when he was doing endo and he had me sit in with the oral surgeon as they were you know, uh, removing teeth for patients who had chemotherapy and needed to have their teeth removed. Um, I, I just, all the, all the CE things that he actually um, ran down in Litchfield, his annual meeting, I, I participated in. And so I'm not a dentist, but I, I got to know a lot of dental clinical knowledge that I think helped me um, have some credibility as I started to go out on my own. So I spent eight years with, with uh, Ray and um, University Dental Associates, which was the group for American Dental Partners. Um, and I helped them build another group down in Alabama, a smarter, smaller group, and helped the one get started in Tennessee. But the North Carolina one at my time was the most successful. We went from a $2 million residency to a $30 million uh, 18 location group by the time I left uh, after eight years. And it was great. I had a ball had a great number of great friends, but I also kind of like school felt like I knew all the things I needed to know and adding one more thing made it Groundhog Day. So I decided to start my own dental management company. And my first clients were actually Ray Garrison's uh, classmates, uh, Jim Curtis and uh, not Lee Jones, I'm sorry, uh, Bud Conklin at uh, Carillion. So that's how I got to be in Roanoke with you guys at the beginning. Yep. I had been in, I had worked with the two of them because what Ray was successful at with American Dental Partners was taking a money losing residency, which most are, and by adding all the private practices to it, it made it profitable because we could share people and resources and supplies and it just didn't have to sit on its own. And then all of the residents got to work in true private practice because all the practice became CODA certified. So a lot of the colleagues, uh, Peter Lockhart's another one in Charlotte, um, a lot of uh, Ray's colleagues were like, hey, Scott, come and work with us on that. So that's how I got started in uh, my own dental management company was helping everybody build kind of a public-private combination. And, um, and so those were probably my first couple of years of building things out. Along the way, uh, when I was American Dental Partners, I had met Ken Cooper, who was building a group in Ohio called Refresh Dental. And so... I, Ken Cooper, uh, my good friend Todd Hubert, uh, Dr. Andrew Matta, and Chad Wise became five partners on the front end when we had like three locations. And we grew Refresh to about 50 locations before the bank said, hey, uh, we love you guys, but that's about all the money we can lend you. And uh, so we had to go and raise money uh, with private equity. And so we did. We raised about $40 million in private equity. Um, I took my, my cash uh, and exited because um, I wanted to go back to start other things. And now that group is called North American Dental Group, and I think they have north of 150 locations uh, in the country. So I think they're probably a top 20 DSO at this point, um, given the leadership that came after I left. So, But I will tell you, as much as I thought I learned at American Dental Partners, I learned everything else at Refresh. We bought 50 locations in 60 months. Wow. So, Kara, I'm just going to say, wow. It's <laughs> incredible. 50, 50 integrations. And so we had to build two integration teams. And it wasn't because we were buying frivolously. 
but we were coming at a time when this started of uh, 09, 10, 11, 12 out yep. of um, the recession. And a lot of dentists in that territory was looking, were looking for partners and cover and, and had taken financial hits. And anyway, so there was just a demand for a partnership model uh, DSO. And we kind of met that. And, and I'd like to also think that the five of us as partners um, just projected good, safe harbor for these uh, dentists to come and join us. So it was a rodeo. It was great. I learned a ton of things. But look, it was a startup. We did a ton of things wrong um, at the beginning of that. And so we learned and bumped our way through uh, getting to private equity. And, um, and so I took, I took my, uh, my cash out of that. Um, along the way, I met my partner, current partner, Clark Kaflish. Clark was working for Planet DDS um, as a vice president of uh, Denticon, the practice management system. And so I was a client at Refresh of him. And so when I left, he's like, Scott, let's go do some things together. And so we went over to Ireland and the UK and he and I started a company uh, with a couple of crazy Irish dentists uh, to be a reseller of Denticon in the UK and Ireland. And then I met some dentists in the midst of that and built a little six location dental group around Dublin, which I still have some ownership in. So, so that kind of got me back in the building thing. So Clark and I, uh, our third partner, Carol, who worked with me at American Dental Partners had been out freelancing and doing her own consulting. Uh, but what Carol is really great at, and Kara, you, you live this life, is being successful at integrating practices, um, parachuting into unknown territory in a practice, building everybody's trust, um, informing them about what's about to happen and building some confidence in them so that day one, uh, you've taken the anxiety from 100%, maybe down to 50%. Yep. And, and Carol has out of, out of 120 some, I'll say 27 acquisitions, um, Carol has been a part of right at 100 of those. And, and I'd like to tell you they're all perfect, but Carol, you know better than that. There are yeah. always little things. Like we're probably, I always tell, I tell everybody, you're probably going to be 95% successful. And then there's 5% that you just don't know because it's somebody else's business. And you're going to figure it out when you bump into it. And so that's what's important about building that relationship, even before the sale goes down, is to be able to get past those bumpiness that you didn't know about. And maybe nobody knew about it until we ran into it. And Carol is great about that. And so she's our third partner. And, and so the, the short the in this and shorten it up is over that time since I left American Dental Partners, Clark and Carol and I have built 21 uh, group practices across the country. That's a third of our business. That means we started from ones and twos and built them to usually double digits of some level. The middle part is we go around and build revenue cycle management teams, usually for those that have gotten to the right scale that we built to begin with, but occasionally for um, private equity-based companies that need that need some outside resources to build the RCM. And then third, uh, as Clark would describe it, we're hired guns for private equity. And so we've got seven right now contracts of private equity to do all number of things. Um, private equity is good at buying really big things and not uh, so nimble about adding ones, twos, and threes. So they will call Clark and I, depending on the territory, and ask us to build them a pipeline of offices. 
um, for them to consider. And they'll tell us what they need to look like. Something like, hey, there's no Medicaid, needs to be six operatories, dentist needs to stay for three years in this tight geography. And then we go around and start uh, putting together a list and, and working that territory um, to build a list for them to buy. And then the other item we'll do for private equity is they may not be in dentistry or have been in dentistry before, but looking for a new platform. So they're on the search for something they can invest in that's big enough that it can start adding things to it, but it needs to have resources, right? So it needs to have its own billing uh, division, its own um, human resources, its own uh, accounting and financials so that they are stable and can add things to it without having to invest more in the infrastructure. So that's kind of where we are here. And that's how I met uh, Kara and Jay um, when I started my second life in Roanoke um, <laughs> in building uh, Henry Dental Group. And so uh, we've been working together um, for four years. And um, I will say everybody has come along incredibly along that time of Andy Henrichi running his single practice, doing about a million four, and Kara running the entire place from the front desk to today, where we'll end this year at $15 million, 12 locations, uh, what, 15 partners. I mean, it's just, it's just been an incredible run um, to get where we are today. So that's probably longer than you wanted, Jay, but that, that's the story. <laughs> that's good. I just, I wanted people to fully understand kind of how you came up in the DSO community because just I've heard you tell that story multiple times but just having other people here and see all the amazing <laughs> things you've done it's, just, it's truly incredible and, kind of where you came from and did it and I know you don't like compliments but I'm going to give you one so uh it's it's just awesome so and I thank you for helping my mom and I out along the way and it's it's been awesome so now that we got through your background and kind of how you started in the DSO community um, in our last podcast, we talked about um, the NED setup um, that you use and that Henry Dillon Group uses and then a lot of your other DSOs uh, use and have used in the past where we had the PLLC yep. and the LLC um, with the management fee in the middle. So I just wanted to kind of ask you, how did you um, create that NED setup or was it you that created or with different partners or something so like that? So go ahead. So as with all good things, I stole it from somebody else. <laughs> um, it's how American Dental Partners was structured. Um, at the time, they were a publicly traded company. And that meant like today in a non-public company, um, people can own things on both sides, right? Just by buying in and putting money. When it was a public company, you had a management company that was publicly traded. So you could only buy shares in it uh, on the stock exchange. And then the 26 groups that it partnered with paid a management fee to, uh, and each group was in a state, basically. There may have been two in a state, but mostly per state, there was a group. And they paid a management fee to American Dental Partners to support capital and HR and all the services at a very high level um, back to them. So uh, it would be, it, to me, it was a very clear delineation of resources and uh and um, uh, leadership there. Sorry, I lost my train of thought again. So when I left there, it also became apparent of two things. One thing Ray Garrison taught me was, Scott, do not go around buying uh, dentists who've been 
who've been running their own business and try to make them employees. Um, it will last for a little while, but it won't last forever. And so that's the first thing. So that made me think, how can I have dentists be partners and owners, but not have to borrow the money or be on a loan? And so the American Dental Partners piece came back to me and said, hey, in the management company, that's where all the assets and all the debt sit, but also the centralized services that start to be used uh, to support the dentist, accounting, AR, um, HR, all those kind of things. And then in the professional company, whether it's a PC or PLLC, um, those dentists get to be owners. By that time, they're debt-free, but they also don't have any risk necessarily of a default of any kind in the practice management, I mean, in the practice uh, company, uh, because there's no debt, no assets. It's a pure profit share model and um, it keeps it clean and it makes it easy for them to move into it. And the only thing they have at risk is whatever they use to buy into the company to be a partner. So if they converted some equity into it or they paid hard cash, that part is at risk if something terrible happened, kind of like in COVID, right? That, that, could have that took some people down. But ultimately, it's only the person that guaranteed the loans in the management company that's taking 100% of the risk. And so that little delineation of risk to me has actually became more important than the delineation of people um, and resources because that allowed deals to get done uh, much clearer and the borrowing much clearer. And we didn't have to worry about how many uh, shares somebody bought in the professional company and did they buy so many that it made them have to be on the loan when that company itself wasn't borrowing the money. So without being too confusing, that, I, I, I totally hijacked this model for American Dental Partners and made it in a smaller model. And, um, and the other part was, if you had the management company as a hub, that allowed for you to have different professional corporations, maybe a specialty, maybe by geography, maybe by state. And it became the hub of the fees to, uh, to supply services and such and accumulate it there uh, to make things run. So that's the truth about how we got there. I hijacked American Dental Partners, made it my own and uh, put it to work. Well, there you go. And I actually didn't know that. So I guess I'm learning something on this podcast too. Um, so <laughs> um, for the next question, this is kind of a question I'm sure you, I mean, it's not, I'm sure there's a bunch of different things that you heard about this, but I just want to kind of know what's the number one objection you have heard about starting a DSO and how do you kind of combat that when somebody kind of brings that question yep. up when they're first starting So I'm going to tell you, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you two things. Yep. Um, well, there's two angles to that. So I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to take your one answer and make it two. Okay. Um, so first, the person who's going to start the DSO, there are any number of barriers that they bump into to keep them from actually getting started. Banking, finding the right bank or capital to get started. And the minute they're with a bank that says, hey, we only bank individual dentists and not multi-location, or we'll do up to three and then you can't do any more. Like people don't know where to go at that point. They don't have the insight of how other banks work and who might be more group practice friendly. So that's the first hurdle. My bank won't do it. Then the second part is great. We found a bank and they're going to do it. But Scott, how do I go talk to everybody to join my non-existent group practice? 
Um, why would they want to come and join me when I don't have anything? And I will say the really the most important thing outside of cash that somebody starting a group practice needs to have is the vision of what it was going to, going to be. They don't need to have it in a complete sense, but they need to be able to communicate to um, a potential partner or potential acquisition of what they're trying to build. This isn't just about cash, right? This is about culture and trust and control and all the things that are wrapped up in a company and trying to take somebody's 20 year business and convert it into your business and, re and repetitiously doing that until you get to the scale that you want. So, so that's the first part. People, um, so that's our job, right, Jay? We go out yep. and we help people fill the gap of the things they don't know. And Andy Henrich is a good example of where Andy knew what he wanted to build. His first thing to me is, Scott, I just don't know how to build it. Where do I start? And that's how people get themselves in trouble, which is not asking good questions or asking for help. And there's plenty of people out there that, do, that will do that uh, and give good advice. And they need it. They should take everybody's advice, lawyers, accountants, consultants, brokers. There's tons of people that give them some good advice about how to get started. Um, but ultimately, what you want, and I know this is totally off track from what your question was now, um, but ultimately what you want is to make sure when you start the business, it's in the form that eventually, whatever day that is, 10 years, 15, 20 years, when you exit or sell or have a transaction, whatever you want to call it, it's in the best possible shape and entities and model to get the highest um, EBITDA multiple that you can get. And so I think the phrase uh, we use all the time is, let's build it with the end in mind. Now, my second part of this is, the difficulty then is confronting people who don't understand group practice or think they do. And so there is so much negativity around group practice, like that is hard to overcome. And some days you shouldn't overcome it. Like trying to convince somebody that their view of dentistry is wrong and that mine is right isn't a winning combination every day. So you've got two things in there. You've got uh, group practices ruining dentistry as we know it. So I would just say to some extent, that person's got their head in the sand and doesn't want to know what's going on around them and what the future looks like. Um, and that's okay, but they're probably going to uh, end up not where they want to be and have a transition that won't be great. Or like real estate, sell at the wrong time and not get all their ultimate value. So that's the first thing, negativity towards group practice. The second is all the people that you approach, their first question is, Am I going to lose control of my practice? What am I responsible for? What are you going to tell me to do? Do I have clinical autonomy? Are you going to fire and hire my employees, right? And so that is probably where we spend the most time talking about what is the culture and vision of this group and why we need you, even if it's an acquisition, to stay the leader of that practice and keep the culture going and be a partner. And so those are the two things on the buying side you bump into. And then the early one obviously was on the creating a group practice, the resistance. Hopefully that was the right answers. Yeah, that, that's absolutely perfect. And I figured those were the two things that you were really going to bring up. 
Um, so let's get into the next question here. The next question is, what is the number one factor you think is of having accessible DSO? Um, what do you think? I Let me answer, Scott. Let me see if I know what you're going to say. Successful team, <laughs> the right partners, those two. Let me see if I'm right on that. Yes, I, I'm going to wrap it up in a bigger word that's more uh, general, and then we can dive into that a little bit. It's got to have the right culture, and it's got to have the culture that you want. Because I could say good culture, but you can't define what that is because only you know what the culture is you wish to create. Um, and so I'll break that down and say, cult is short for culture. And I'd laughingly say all dental groups are probably a cult at some level because you want dentists who are aligned. And to your part, Jay, you want them to be good partners but your leader needs to be somebody they can believe in and trust. And so, you know, and, and, and they need to be a believer in what you're building. So to me, you know, it's the dental cult is you're only building a group practice and it's stable if the culture is correct. And that could take any number of angles, but mostly it's building a trusting circle of dentists and partners uh, that has the same belief and value system as the owner does. Okay. Yeah, I, I like that answer a lot. Um, do you have anything to say, Mom? I know you've kind of been quiet over there. I just wanted to see if you're still there. I know, Kara. Yeah, there's, there's, there's Kara needs to throw some arrows at me. Yeah, there's so yeah, I have so many questions and we could go to so many different rabbit holes. But um, so the one thing at the very beginning I wanted to say is that um, Dr. Ritzy and I met Ray Garrison, and I just what a blessing to be under him for eight years. That's all I'm going to say. Like that's we sat down and talked to him for an hour and I just can't imagine learning from him. So that was really cool. I didn't really realize you were with him for so long. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. Ray, Ray's an awesome person. Um, and at this point, an awesome friend. And um, yeah, I, I, I probably, I don't get emotional about a ton of things, but I could probably get emotional talking about uh, my relationship with Ray um, yeah, he, because it is, it is what I do and know today. Uh, I, I, I learned a lot of other things, but ultimately uh that's where I got started yeah he was just we went to the we had talked about this other podcast went down to Austin before we even had a group and he just we were there eating either lunch or breakfast I can't remember and it was just Dr. Ritzy and I sitting there with him and he just was just grateful with his time it was just yeah. awesome so Ray if you ever hear this yeah. thank you I don't even know if you'll remember ever talking to us but I appreciate it so but that's really cool to have those mentors and, and Scott I'll tell you that you um you are one of those for Jay and I so I appreciate that as well so thank you very much well you're being super nice on that I'll, I'll I am being nice and drive you around <laughs> you have taught I us a ton in, I stuffed Jay in an overhead and took him to Texas and Vegas you know he survived he did survive <laughs> I'm, I'm grateful for it it's all good I learned so much yeah and going back to the beginning too um, anybody that's really not in the dental uh, community or is not a dentist that wants to get into this, I highly suggest finding somebody that you can go and shadow. Um, like yeah. Scott was talking about how he did and then how I did with Risa Clark, who was the first partner in Henry's Dental Group. It, it really opens your eyes and you just kind of hear their side, not from a number side, just from a dentist side. And it's it truly helps to just be able, one, to be able to have a little bit of dental jargon in your back pocket and know how to talk to dentists with out saying the wrong things and just being able to know what they want to hear type of thing. So that, it's and, really awesome and, to do that. And Risa, Risa is great because she's going to tell you what makes a good partner because she's yeah. a great partner. Yeah, and that's uh, the thing is that, go ahead, Scott, sorry. 
I'm sorry, people don't know this unless they were inside a Henry C. Dental, but Risa Clark bought into being a partner in Henry C. Dental before the group even began and before we bought our first practice. She, back to a cult, she believed in what was being built and what Andy was saying was going to happen enough to where she put hard cash into the company to become a partner before there was anything else. And I just think that's when you know we're, we're, we're building something very interesting. Yeah, and when you are building and you get those partners, those ones and twos, then, you know, it's not even your dream anymore. It's everybody's dream, which is really, right. which is if you're building that right culture and you have a doctor, you know, that you're trying to hopefully join your group, you could just say, well, which one do you want to talk to? I've got 20, pick one. You know, do you know any of them? You know, those kind of things. It just it just keeps going and going once you, you know, start that culture right and already have your vision. And it's easy for people to buy into a wonderful vision. And then you just live that every day. And that's what, that's what we try to do. Um, you know, at yes. Ritzy Dental Group is to, to live that vision every day, try to make decisions on that. And it's just been wonderful with our culture. It's fantastic. So, and, and, but the hard part about this is you have to make good choices about people. And some days you got to say no. Exactly. And because nothing, nothing makes um, culture go sideways than poor decision-making on who joins the group. And I will say um, we probably have said no more than we wanted to out of protection of the culture. And there's one or two that we should have that we let in in the early days um, that we should have done a better job at, but at the time we didn't know better. And, and luckily we, we, we weathered that to where we are, but that ends up being one of two things to be, you have to be good stewards of, um, your staff and your dentist, you have to be a good steward of making sure where you're bringing into the business is aligned with you joining your cult and then being good student, uh, I'm sorry, uh, being a good, um, uh, steward of the money that they're entrusting you to use to build a business. And, and that goes a long way. Yeah, and you have to have, and the other thing is you have to have your vision, but you have to be able to um, flow and do things that are that are right and be okay if you did it wrong and then just keep moving forward. Yes. That's one of those, other, you can't be stuck on it. You've got to be able to move forward, so. Yeah, I was going to say transparency as much as yes. you can without putting it, um, without mm, going too far, but transparency is important. People don't like mysteries about how's the company run and how does money flow and how do they get paid? Like those things can't be mysterious. Um, that does not make good partnership. No. And that may be uncomfortable, but I will just say building a group practice is all about being uncomfortable. Um, the, the, the power you have in that group is saying things that other people won't say and making sure um, the conversations you have are meaningful and we're actually getting to the root of what everybody needs to have and know and solve. And if you don't um, take that time and, and say the uncomfortable things in a, in, a, in, a, in a positive, you know, constructive way, then uh, it's just sitting there waiting for the day for it to kind of creep up on you when you don't know it. And, uh, and then, and then you, it's not in your control. Yep. It's too far. It's too far then. Yep. So, yep. Um, yeah. So that's, that's the big thing is the culture, but I do agree it'd be in a cult. That's for sure. Um, but it's not a bad thing, <laughs> but it's not a bad thing necessarily. It's a good thing <laughs> depending on the culture. So Anyway, we have any more questions for him, Jay? Yeah, so we have two more questions, Scott. So for the first one, 
I don't know if you want to answer this one or not, but um, what is the most successful or the most, I guess, we'll just say fun DSO you have created in your past 25 years? What's What's been your favorite project you've created? Let's just say that. You, you can't let Andy Henrici hear this because he will not be in the one or two. Um, He's okay. He'll be all right. So I will say my, my starting out with Ray Garrison and building University Dental Associates with him um, probably was the most important one that I've built. And we did build it to $30 million. So, I mean, it was, it was a great um, building, but I had backing from American Dental Partners. So I didn't have to raise capital. We didn't have to worry about a bank. Uh, we just had to make sure that we could prove um, the profitability of things that we bought uh, met the investment, right? But I will just say, I enjoyed working with Ray. I built my own team there. Um, there's just any number of things. And out of that, Kim Carroll is my partner today. Um, and even to this day, there's probably half a dozen dentists over my time there um, that call and ask for my advice or ask me if I'm in town, could grab dinner and talk about some things. A couple have helped find a practice. So I'll just say that's probably number one. Um, but number two, without a doubt, uh, is the Refresh North American Dental Group. Um, because it was fun and stressful and crazy and a rodeo, um, it was all those things. And I, I won't say we didn't know any better, but there was no guide rails. Like we got to pick, we got to pick how much risk we took and what we wanted to build um, and where we wanted to go. And, um, and it was five partners and, and we just enjoyed each other's company. Um, it was fun. It was fun and crazy. And, you know, someday we can talk about, you know, how we built it to 50 when we only had $10 million of bank debt. Um, and uh, anyway, so that, that would be my number one and number two. Um, so, but then there's others when you said, you know, things that are most fun. I am fortunate that I only choose and stay with people that I enjoy. Um, this world and dentistry by itself has a lot of people that um, aren't fun every day. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure they're good people, but they're just not as fun. Um, so if I'm going to build something, it's going to be with somebody that, because it takes a lot of time. Um, and there needs to be some alignment um, with me and the leader and their advisors. And, um, and so if that's not there, it probably doesn't work. I, I probably need not to have them waste their money on me with them and it not work. So I get the chance to work with people I enjoy. And that's kind of how this has come along. So thankfully, uh, like right now, I have 10 projects. Um, 9.5 of them are fun. Some days, 0.5 is not fun. <laughs> <laughs> and it's always the 0.5 that it just breaks your day, but that's all right. It's always that. So I have a question. What is your favorite part of your job that you do now? What do you enjoy the most? I like, I, I like, I like trying to find the practice that meets the standard of what we're looking for and then setting down with that dentist and finding out what their motivation is to want to join this group. Because everybody's got a reason. They're not all the same. They may decide that, hey, I'm 50 and I'm ready to have my transition done and not worried about finding a young guy or lady coming out with all the school debt and them having to be able to figure out if they can buy my practice. So the transition might be one. Second is, hey, maybe they want to be debt-free and doing this transaction solves that and they sleep better. And that makes them a great partner because we met their need there. 
Third is they may not, and I, and I did not realize this early on because all dentists, get, well, I say all, majority of dentists go to school thinking they're going to come out and hang out their own shingle, less so today than in the past. And so they're like, hey, well, I'm going to run my own place and make my own decisions. But when I started making the rounds and doing uh, acquisition, you find a lot of dentists feel like they're on an island by themselves, solving their problems and making uh, payroll decisions and HR decisions and major financial decisions without really any advice of other dentists because they don't know that they can go and talk to other dentists and get, you know, honest answers or, you know, somebody will tell them the right thing. So being on that um, island is a big deal. And then uh, fourth is um, occasionally they, well, it depends on what their staffing looks like. As you two know, Mostly you want to keep everybody and bring them on, right? Less disruption, keep keep the culture together. Um, but there's occasions where dentists are in a situation where they've allowed the staff uh, to really run them, right? Uh, yep. Pay is out of alignment. Um, the number of people might be out of alignment. Uh, any, any number of things where that dentist has allowed the business uh, to outrun what they are able to manage. And... So all of those, all of those things, finding out what's the motivation for somebody to sit down and want to talk to me and then be able to tell them, hey, um, Enrici Dental is going to do this for you if you join them. Um, you know, stable environment, uh, HR support. Uh, we're going to help you get your insurance squared away. Um, we do study groups and, you know, Risa Clark assigned somebody to bring their favorite beer to the stu study room. <laughs> you know, just just building the fact they're building collegiality like they had in um, dental school. Like they all went to dental school as a group practice almost, and then came out and went to the winds. And to some extent, it's reliving that little bit, that little bit of uh, dentist collegiality back into the system. And uh, so that part is fun for me because this is not about making somebody tell you something they don't want to tell you. They want to tell you. They just need somebody to ask them. And that's what starts the conversation. So that's my fun part. Well, and it's funny that you say that. Well, it's not funny that you say that, but that's my favorite part too with doing the acquisitions is finding out how I can help the team um, and the doctor, but, you know, just the team and what they need to be able to, you know, do their job job as well. So that's always a fun well, part to be able to figure those out. The, 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 the funny part is, you know, I, I, I forget there's, there's shows and things that, that I'm like, what if I told, you be in a group that you know you don't have to worry about payroll and accounts payable and all the back end stuff and they'll help you collect your insurance and they'll help you do the reviews or do the reviews for you if you wish them to and you get to hang out with dentists have a beer and go over your cases and it's like they're like scott does that really exist Yes. yes, it does. Yes, it does. <laughs> yes, it does. And it's so exciting to be able to tell them that and then be able to do it for them. Like, that's the other part, especially, you know, we've got a, a dentist, um, you know, Dr. Golden that, um, you know, he's, he's just grateful in every way. He's just so happy because yes. we were just be able to help him tremendously. So it's just, it's that's, awesome to be able to see that. And but, you know what, um, but that also requires like on my side of things, as Jay bumps into, you have to like 
be a part of those groups. You're not just, you're, you're not an outside consultant because you yep. are representing, or I'm representing Henrici Dental Group every time I sit down with somebody. I go to Colorado, I'm representing Fit to Smile and their culture when I'm there. And, and all of them are a little bit different. Um, generally, they're the same structure and how they get paid and all that. But internally, of what they're being, what, how they're operating and what they're offering is a little bit different. So putting on, you know, that particular outfit for the day and remembering who you're representing um, and what they need to have in their group is really important, right? Because then I have to go back and tell, you know, Andy or Trent or Ryan and say, hey, I talked to Dr. Um, Craig today and here's what I told him we were going to do. Are we safe with that? You know, because because some days I might overshoot. I might, I might, <laughs> I'd like to think that I'm truthful to everybody and I probably am, but also maybe a little forward of what's available to things that, that, you know, Fit to Smile has or HCG has. And so, but for the most part, um, that's the fun part. Just going in in different areas, talking to the dentist and getting them excited as much as dentists can be excited about joining a group. Yeah. That's awesome. So I have one, I have another question for you. So in the first two years, three years when, you know, building a DSO, what advice would you give, and I'm not going to say just the owner dentist, but the leadership team um, yeah. on how to stay sane, more or less? <laughs> um, well, again, you've lived it. Um, and Jay's about to do this in his group he's building in South Carolina. Yeah. Um, make sure you have two things available to you so you don't get in trouble. One is enough capital. You cannot go and start buying things and not have the bank uh, ready to underwrite it. So at all times, you need to know what the bank's willing to do with you. And second, do you have enough infrastructure for what you're about to buy? Um, it is easy. Uh, there's always a little battle. You can't see my hands right now, but like <laughs> some days you, you have to hire more infrastructure than you have business. And then some days the business gets ahead of you and you have to buy up some uh, infrastructure and insert it along the way. Those two things are super important from a timeliness and support standpoint, because what you don't want to have happen is uh, turn out to be cash poor, not be able to do the things you committed to because you don't have enough working capital or your bank is not aligned with you. And then second, not be able to support practices because they don't have a Kara Trail or a Kevin Pope or you know any other support systems along the way. And that doesn't mean you necessarily have to hire from the outside. Um, as you know, Kara, you know, you came, I hate to say this, but you came along with Andy as, as part yep. of the office, right? <laughs> yep. Just kept so, on coming, followed along. And, and, then you, and then you leveraged in a good way, the teammates that were in the company as you took on other offices to have different roles where it was appropriate to be in support of other practices or other processes. And so I'm not saying you always have to buy up talent. But somewhere along the way, you need to develop some talent so that it's just not a dentist in a car driving around putting out dumpster fires. Yeah. Yeah, because that doesn't get you anywhere, more or less. It doesn't. It doesn't let you grow. Quality, your quality of life is terrible. Yeah. And people people don't know what it is to be a dental partner and you're solving their issues and not teaching them how to solve things. And um, that's your responsibility as a leader is uh, you may solve it the first time, but you're teaching them how to solve it the second time. Yep. Delegate to elevate. Just saying. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All, All right. right.
Do you have you any other questions? More questions? I got I, one more question. You, this no, is your question. I do. I'm asking. No, no, no. I'm asking it. Don't ask. I'm okay. asking. Okay. <laughs> so, Scott, now you know you know Andy and I. So we have to know what is your book that you would um, recommend the most. <laughs> so, <laughs> without a doubt, Good to Great is my my one book. I would tell anybody that it is like a mini MBA. Um, That's a great read book. Good to Great because it's going to steer you. Um, correctly in what a stable, long-term, humble company looks like. So that's the, that's the first and major book I would tell you. Um, the second one of my choice, and I'm not saying anybody needs to read this, but I read this book called The Black Swan. It's an economics book and not even a dentistry or leadership book. And it blew me away as an independent operator and, I, and being an operator of dental practices and, and um, my own you know, business. And the two things it tells you in the black swan is first of all, you can't predict when bad things happen, but they're gonna happen. Everybody thinks that it's only like maybe sometime in the future, there's a 5% chance, whatever you wanna say, but COVID happens, right? The great recession happens, things happen, and you need to be prepared in your business in your personal life to be able to weather that. Doesn't mean that you don't take a hit, because you will, but if you look at a bell curve, everybody thinks that in the middle is the safe places, in the middle of the bell curve at this highest point. And actually, you need to live on the front end, as far on the front end as you can, and, and live in the 10% of the top end as much as you can, because when Black Swan comes along, what you wanna have happen, the worst case is, you end up in the middle of the, of the bell curve. So I don't know that that's insightful to anybody, but it was to me. Like, don't live the average life in the average business because that's great until something bad happens. And then when it goes bad, you're on the tail end of the bottom 10%. So as much as possible, stay on that front end, which means, you know, you're taking risks. Um, you're on the bleeding edge of some things. You're being uncomfortable. Live that part of the life so that if you have to back up some, you're still in a safe territory. And then the second thing it, it taught me, which ruined me on a lot of books, other books at that point, <laughs> is you cannot believe in survivor stories. You can read them, but you cannot live and use that as your template to build something. Um, and there's a, their example in the book was, if you uh, read the story of the 20% of people that lived and got off the Titanic, you'd think if I followed that same path to the top and got out, I would have been saved also. But timing's important, luck's important, the events changed along the way. That person just happened to have all those things go the right way for them to get saved. Then there's 66% that was trying to do that that couldn't make it. And so, you know, I, I know uh, Jay laughs when I tell him that I'm not an Elon Musk fan, but that's because- <laughs> I just threw because, that out there, Scott. You know, you know we're, we're being truthful on the podcast. Um, <laughs> But that's because if you want to follow that, then you're going to take government loans and you're going to do some uh, things. And, you know, like you just because he's successful, he's not the person you need to mimic. Yeah. Um, and you look at um, I, I'll just say everybody loves to write their books of success. They don't always write the book to say, here's all the things that went wrong that I survived to be here today. And that's the important part. It's not a straight line. No, there is no straight line. It's a yep. forward, so, backwards, so, crazy 
But anyway. Yeah, if somebody wanted to read the Black Swan, uh, I just, I just, uh, spoiler alert, I just told you what the two points are out of that that were important to me. Um, but they really were important to me. Like, I needed to know in myself as I was going and doing my own thing. Um, don't try being all these other people and reading all these biographies thinking that you're going to be JP Morgan or Elon Musk or like that. That's not reality. Um, And, and a lot of other things had to happen in the background for that to end up. And you can only live your own life and make your own choices um, to end up where you want to be. And so anyway, so that was my, that's my second book that I'll tell you. And the last one would be traction. And that's because, um, it's how the, how the business needs to be run and gives you a management style to run it. So one, without a doubt, is good to great, but then Black Swan and Traction are my other two. Awesome. Awesome. I've read two or three. I have read two or three, too. I need to get on the Black Swan. I didn't know about that one. Yep. Yep. So uh, they're on my audio list. So they're not technically books. So I don't know if they actually qualified for your answer, but yes, they are technically books because I own two of them. So technically <laughs> two of them are books. So we'll, we'll say that. Um, anyway, well, I am, I think we're good. We've been on here for about 45, oh, almost, wow. almost an hour actually. So um, Jay, do you have any more, more questions? No, I don't. Uh, just thank you very much, Scott, for coming on here. Um, and thank you for helping me and my mom along the way the past couple of years and yeah. taking a chance on Andy and uh, helping us grow uh, to the point that we are today and just getting other business and everything like that. I never give you compliments in person, so I'm going to give you compliments on this. So, so you can't say Don't, don't tell it. Andy I didn't put him in the top three uh, uh, groups. He won't let me live that down. Yeah, but um, I think, but he'll understand, I believe. So it'll be all right. But, uh, <laughs> but I'll also say I, I, I want a podcast where all we do is ask uh, Jay questions. So Karen, yes. you need to set that up or you just pepper Jay with questions. Oh yeah. And there'll be no, there are no boundaries. I get to ask questions about anything. <laughs> oh goody, I can't wait. Let's do it. That's Let's good, do that it. sounds good. We'll do that. <laughs> we'll definitely get that one done in the future. But all right, everybody, thank you uh, for listening. And again, we'll have our emails, my mom's email and my email in the description. And you also can get in touch with us uh, through jtdevelopmentllc.com. Um, and also- um, just hope you guys enjoyed listening to this and listening to Scott that's been in the DSO community for about 25 years. And I hope you guys have a great day. And mom, you can say goodbye to the people now. Bye, people. All right. Bye, Bye guys. <laughs>